0: The world of professional golf is abuzz with talks of a blockbuster merger, but Democrats and Republicans in Washington don't like it. Who does? Lobbyists, of course. We talk about who they are and what they might have to disclose if this deal goes through. Hello, you're listening to On The Merits, the weekly news podcast from Bloomberg Law and Bloomberg Government. I'm your host, David Schultz. With apologies to Brooks Kepka and Rory McIlroy, the most interesting thing happening in professional golf right now is not the actual game itself. It's the ultra high stakes battle between the PGA, which has been the main international golf league for decades, and Live, a new startup that began holding tournaments last year. A major professional sports league facing an upstart competitor would be newsworthy on its own. But in this case, the intrigue comes from whose bankrolling Liv, the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia. The Kingdom's sovereign wealth fund is the primary benefactor of Liv, which, by the way, is a play on the Roman numerals LIV, or the number of holes on one of its shortened tournaments. Saudi Arabia has been using its wealth to buy stakes in lots of international sports ventures, with golf being arguably the most prominent and controversial so far. For roughly the past year, Liv has not only been poaching PGA players, but also suing the PGA over what it argues are anti-competitive business practices. That's why last week's news was so surprising. Liv went from calling the PGA a monopoly to announcing what is essentially a merger. This sent heads spinning in the golf world and also here in Washington, where people are now asking, what would it mean for a major sports league to be at least partially owned by the country behind, among other human rights abuses, the murder of Washington Post journalist Jamal Khashoggi? We're covering this story from a lot of angles, and today we're going to bring you two of them. In a bit, we'll hear from Bloomberg Law's Dan Papskin about why a golf merger could be a matter of national security. But first, we'll talk with Bloomberg Government's Kate Ackley. She's been following the lobbying going on around this deal here in Washington, and she wrote a story about how, if it does go through, this could be an interesting test of the Foreign Agents Registration Act, or FARA. Here's Kate on what FARA is and how it works.
1: It goes back to 1938. Um, sort of in the run-up to World War II, where you had Nazi propagandists operating in the United States. And these weren't really lobbyists, obviously. These were people who were trying to influence, um, you know, u s. public relations or just sort of influence the way people were thinking about Germany and World War II. So that's the roots of Vera, but it it definitely ropes in anybody who's working on behalf of a foreign government. And usually a foreign political party. Those are the main sort of people that have to register or firms that have to register under Farah.
0: And what does that mean? If you are a Farah registered lobbyist, there are certain things that you can't do or certain things that you have to disclose.
1: You have to disclose a lot. And that's basically what it is. It's a disclosure statute. There are a few things where if you are registered under FARA, you can't do certain things. There was something in the, the PPP loans that you couldn't get PPP loans if you were a FARA registered entity. But it's mostly it's about just disclosing who you're communicating with. Um, there's a lot of almost real-time disclosure requirements. So people who are emailing people on the Hill so, if you're registered to represent Saudi Arabia right now, and you're emailing someone or sending out press releases, um, you have to you have to file that within you know a short period of time. Uh, you can see emails that they're sending to people on Capitol Hill. I've been looking at these disclosures over the past few days to see I I saw one that was a press release so it was just like here's the press release we sent out I have not seen any emails come up yet Um, but this is much more information than you would get under traditional lobbying disclosures where you get you're lucky if you get sort of uh, a couple of words you know like golf uh issues or something like that
0: i I know exactly what you're talking (laughs) about i used to uh, comb through those uh lobbying disclosure act uh disclosures just try to see what people are working on and it would say something like budget or appropriations and it's like that doesn't narrow any or you know spoke to a lawmaker
1: Right. And, you know, with those, they'll put a very catch-all dollar figure, and it'll be for an entire quarter. So what you get with FARA clients is they have to basically file the contract with the Department of Justice, and that becomes public. So you can see um, that, you know, some firm is is earning, uh, say, a million dollars for six months of work or something. You get very much more detailed information. It's widely accepted. And I'm sure that there are people that try to circumvent the rules. There have been cases brought. You know, there are criminal penalties with Farah. So when people do try to circumvent the rules uh, or the law, um, they can be prosecuted.
0: Yeah. So let's talk specifically about Live, about uh, this uh, Saudi-backed golf organization, your story was about if this merger goes through, that the PGA itself would have to register under Farah. What what would be the implications of that?
1: The implications of that would be that they'd have to put out a lot more information about, you know, what they're doing to influence not just public policy and legislation, but also public relations. Um, it's not clear yet whether this new entity, whatever it might be called, because I don't even know if we know what it would be called.
0: Yeah. Um, (laughs) This was just announced last week, right?
1: Right. And it's and they're talking about how this is going to be some kind of a a new entity. So it would, I think, depend on how this all looks. And, you know, of course, members of Congress and and other sort of, uh, you know, government officials, they have concerns about the deal itself. So it would have to go through and there'd have to be a new entity. And then it would have to be determined, I guess, you know, you'd have legal experts looking at it and seeing how, the you know, would, would people who represent or do PR and lobbying for the new entity um, need to file under Farah?
0: Well, let's talk about the people who we know already are lobbying on behalf of Liv. Uh, you listed a few of them in your story, and there's some pretty uh, heavy hitters here, including the son of a former vice president. Who, um you know, who are these folks who are 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 the, the live lobbyists.
1: The live lobbyists some of these and the former vice president's son, who's also himself a former member of Congress, is actually registered under the Lobbying Disclosure Act for Live. So that's what I'm talking about. It's, <laughs> it's sort of murky how it's determined which entities are registered under Farah and the Lobbying Disclosure Act. But um, former Congressman Ben Quayle, who was a Republican from Arizona and is uh, the son of former Vice President Dan Quayle, Um, is one of the lobbyists. They have a bipartisan team at a firm that is working for Live Golf. And then there's a former senator, Saxby Chambliss, who is a Republican from Georgia, who is representing the PGA Tour. Um, And the PGA Tour also has uh, lobbyist Jeff Miller, who is a Republican fundraiser and sort of considered to be close to um, House Speaker Kevin McCarthy.
0: Well, we're talking about what lobbyists uh, might have to do if the deal goes through, but that's a big if, and I want to get more into the if with Dan Papskin here. Uh, Dan, you wrote a story about one of the ways that this deal could potentially be scuttled, and that's through something called CFIUS. Um, For those who are unfamiliar, why don't we deacronymize that and explain to me what CFIUS is.
2: Yeah, so I had to learn uh, as well. I'm pretty new to covering uh, this body. Um, But CFIUS stands for the Committee on Foreign Investment in the United States. Um, It's an interagency body that's housed within Treasury, but has representatives from DOD, DHS, um, Commerce Department. And it oversees, you know, foreign business investments
0: uh, and the purchase of real estate in the U.S. So this is a body that basically, if, if a uh, foreign entity wants to buy uh, part of a U.S. business, they take a look at it and say, are there any national security reasons why this would not be a good idea? Am I? Is that a uh, accurate oversimplification? Exactly. Yeah, it's all about national security. I see. Um, so then, why is it getting involved here? Why could it get involved here? I mean, we're talking about golf. We're talking about, you know, people on the links swinging golf clubs. What does that have to do with national security? It's a good question. It's it's not something I would uh,
2: think of off the top of my head. Um, but I spoke to a few CFIUS lawyers. Um, it's a pretty highly specialized like area of the law. Um, and they said there are two main concerns uh, or theoretical concerns here. One would be data. So the PGA obviously has both players and, um, you know, fans who use the app, um, buy tickets, and it collects quite a bit of information on them. And so there could be CFI's concerns around uh, transmitting that data outside of the U.S. and and using it for various things. The second one is a little more exciting, the location of PGA-operated golf courses. So the PGA has... I think a few dozen golf courses um, that it operates, they're both public and private, and it uses them for various tournaments and things. Um, In theory, there could be concerns around the proximity of those golf courses to sensitive U.S. military installations. Um, So Civius has this great tool on its website. I recommend going and checking it out. It's fun to play with, uh, where you can put in the address of anywhere in the U.S.
0: and see how close it is to um, sites monitored or within Civius' jurisdiction. That's wild. So I just just to so we're all on the same page. So what Cypius might be concerned about is that a Saudi back group might be buying the PGA which owns golf courses that are located uncomfortably close to military installations. Yes. <laughs> wow. Um so however, that seems like a problem that would be relatively easy to solve in that the PGA could theoretically just divest from those golf courses. How likely is that or would that be something that might make this deal fall through, or something that the PGA just might not be willing to do? It's really rare for Civius to block a deal completely um, on any of these grounds.
2: I think it happens about once a year publicly. Maybe it happens a little bit more privately, um, but it's it's not a a usual occurrence. And so typically what happens if there are concerns around a deal is they'll mitigate them. It's kind of like uh, remedies in antitrust lawsuits, um, merger review, where... Say the concern here is data, you could require that PGA Live, whatever the newly merged entity uh, is, um, doesn't transmit you know certain sensitive data outside of the U.S. If it's about the golf course locations, there are a few options. One of them could be selling off whatever courses or ceasing to operate there. Um, I've found one within less than a mile of a Navy installation in Maryland. But then they could also just sign a mitigation agreement that says, yeah, we won't install cameras or surveillance uh, technology on the course. Mm. Um, so there there are a variety of options. And the penalties for violating a mitigation agreement um, go up to and include unwinding a deal. And there's no statute of limitations.
0: Mm. Well, finally, I wanted to talk with both of you about the political, I guess, landscape here. Because in both of your stories, you quote, both Republican and Democratic lawmakers who are not happy with this deal. Uh, And Kate, before we were talking, you just mentioned that Senator uh, Richard Blumenthal of Connecticut, a Democrat, uh, has just announced he wants to start an investigation into this.
1: Right. He said he's asking about the Saudi government's role in this. And so... When this deal was announced last week and I talked to people within the PGA, the the public message there was there's not going to be any trouble. We don't have any antitrust. We don't have any real issues with this. Um, and I also talked to some sources who said that they didn't really expect a big role for Saudi lobbyists or others who represent the the, the Saudi Arabian government or embassy or other entities, including the public investment fund, which owns or is an investor and in live. Um, but that seems like that is not going to hold up because of, of what Senator Blumenthal and other lawmakers have said that they want to look at. They want to know what is the Saudi government's role in this deal and trying to influence it.
0: So who's backing this? I mean, we know that we have lobbyists who are hired by both of these entities who are you know pushing for this deal. But who are the politicians who are going to not so much stick their neck out but the politicians who are going to come out and say yes we think this is a good idea we think live and the pga should merge together like, where's the political base advocating for this
2: so um i believe there have been two republican senators at least two who have come out kind of in support of the deal or at least against intervention against the deal so senator ron johnson said that the government should quote stay the hell out of sports end quote. Um, and then Senator Marco Rubio uh, basically said this is a private business deal. There's no place for the government in it. But then we've also seen Senator Mitt Romney seem to indicate that civius review is warranted or at least on the table. Um, and several Senate Democrats have, have
0: called for something along those lines as well. I'm glad you brought up Mitt Romney because he's one of the known as one of the more moderate members of the Republican caucus. But you also quoted Chip Roy, who's in the House a congressman from Texas, who is very, very conservative. He also opposed uh, this this merger. So it seems like this is not an ideological fight here. This is, you know, really scrambling the politics of of Washington. Kate, what do you think about that? I mean, do you do you think that the handful of Republicans are coming out in favor of this means that this this could go forward or, or is this in real trouble?
1: Well, it depends. I mean, if you have more Republicans just taking that kind of traditional laissez-faire approach, then that's probably some good news for, um, it. you know, having the deal go forward. But you do have people on really opposite ends of the political spectrum who have blasted the deal or or come up with, you know, expressing kind of big concerns but I, I will say that to the extent that the that the sort of influence apparatus for the for the Saudi government gets involved, that's a lot of people, and you know it's basically fully back on um, after you know the 2018 murder of Washington Post journalist Jamal Khashoggi. Um, there were a number of firms that were registered under Farah who dropped the government the Saudi government as a client some were were sort of forced to do it because they had other um, relationships with the post or other entities that put pressure on them but there were some that stuck with the government and continued to represent it, um, and do still today. And the Saudi government has hired additional lobbyists over these, you know, five or so years. So it's a it's a huge and bipartisan network of people who, you know, basically work to try to smooth relations um, between the two countries.
0: Mm-hmm. All right. Well, this is really fascinating stuff. Uh, Thank you guys so much for talking. That was Kate Ackley and Dan Papskin talking about live and golf and Saudi Arabia and a whole lot of other things. Thank you so much.
1: Thank you. Great to be here. Thanks
0: for having us. That'll do it for today's episode of On the Merits. It was produced by myself, David Schultz. Our editor is Andrew Satter and our executive producer is Josh Block. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next week. I felt like I was in jail every day when I was going to work. I'm like, I got to get out of here. My
3: executive order calls on the FTC to ban or limit non-compete agreements. Let workers choose who they want to work for. This season on Uncommon Law, we're exploring one of the most expansive Federal Trade Commission proposals in modern history, a nationwide ban on non-compete clauses.
1: Non-compete clauses can really restrict competition. They can be coercive, they can be exploitative.
3: We'll talk to workers who were desperate to take new jobs in their industry, only to be blocked by threat of a lawsuit.
0: I remember getting served my cease and desist and thinking that this can't be right, this can't be fair, how can she get away with this?
3: And we'll talk to the business owners who say they depend on these clauses to keep their companies afloat.
1: I think like with anything else, when you enter into an agreement, there are rules, and you decide if you want to participate in that or not. I just believe that there should be some protections for small businesses like myself that are already in a very competitive industry.
3: Plus, does the FTC under Chair Lena Khan even have the power to pass
2: this rule?
1: Look, Congress gave the FTC the authority to check unfair methods of competition.
2: There is no limit to what Khan thinks she may be able to achieve if she can label it an unfair method of competition.
3: Lena Khan is not coming out of nowhere. It really is the natural progression of the insights that we have about how harmful non-competes are on our markets. Join us as we explore the far-reaching implications of this proposal and the likely court battle That could shape the future of the American workforce. That's this season on Uncommon Law from Bloomberg Industry Group.